Hi, friends. How are we doing? Well, thank you for being here. Today we continue a series studying the New Testament epistle of James. Many followers of Jesus love the book of James because it offers practical wisdom for everyday life. Throughout his letter, James candidly explains why we should love God and how we should love each other. And the author has a way of telling it like it is. With such frankness, it's both convicting and refreshing. Now, I believe all truth from Scripture is timeless, but for some of us, the words James speaks today may be timely. I pray you came this morning ready to receive what God has to give. Before we turn to James, let's ask God to help us hear him. Will you pray with me? Lord, we invite you to open our eyes this morning so that we might see wonderful things in your word. Soften our hearts. Make us ready to listen with our lives. We pray this in the name of King Jesus. Amen. Does anybody need wisdom today? Now, I'm not asking a general question about generic clarity for life. I'm asking, does anybody need specific wisdom about a specific situation or circumstance? Maybe you're at a crossroads and you've got to make a career decision. Maybe you need to make a hiring decision. Maybe you need to make a firing decision. Maybe you need to have a difficult conversation with a friend or family member. Maybe you need to decide if you're going to say yes or if you're going to say no. It's amazing how hard that decision can be. Is anybody losing sleep at night wondering what the heck you're supposed to do about something? Raise your hand. Oh, I have just what you need. Have you ever seen one of these? This is a magic eight ball. A magic eight ball is a device used to divine the answer to any yes or no question. We use it around the church to make all the important decisions. (laughs) Let me show you how it works. We begin with a question. Will I become the starting right tackle for the Denver Broncos? Yes, definitely. (laughs) Will I write the next great American novel next week? It is certain. (laughs) Let's do one more. Will I become the next lead singer of Van Halen? Concentrate and ask again. (laughs) Will I become the next lead singer of Van Halen? Without a doubt. (laughs) Okay. Perhaps this was not a good test for this device since the answer to those questions were obvious to all of us. (laughs) But I wish the answers to other decisions could come so easily. That's why we need wisdom. 
Wisdom is vital for all life's big questions. Where should I go to school? What should I do with my life? Should I buy the house? Should I take the job? Should I get married? How can I successfully raise children? Wisdom is priceless. I've heard wisdom defined as the skill of living or the ability to navigate life well. Wisdom is the, 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 the discernment to know when to hold them and know when to fold them, to know when to walk away and know when to run. <laughs> My friends, if you rearrange your life around becoming a wise person, the payoff will exceed anything you can imagine. Proverbs 3, verse 13. Blessed are those who find wisdom, those who gain understanding, for she is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. She's more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand, in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways, and all her paths are peace. Scroll through the list of people you know. Do you know any wise parents? Wise parents know when to coach and when to listen. Wise parents know when to teach, when to allow consequences to teach. And the benefit? Just ask an adult who grew up in the home of a wise parent. Do you know any wise managers? Wise managers know how to inspire. Wise managers know how to have crucial conversations without losing their cool or losing valuable team members. Wise managers know when to offer grace and when to offer truth. They know how to help a team trust one another and hold each other accountable. When you see wisdom in some area in which you don't have it, you want that wisdom. That's why the sages plead with us, Proverbs 4, verse 7, get wisdom, though it cost all you have, get understanding. The wisdom literature of the Proverbs casts a compelling vision for the necessity of wisdom and the desperation with which we should pursue it. And James tells us where to find it. In the beginning of verse 5 in James chapter 1, the apostle writes, if any of you lacks wisdom. Now maybe you read James' words from a position of lack. You got to find wisdom. You got to find it fast because your decision will affect the fate of the company. Your decision will determine your family's financial stability. You got to get clarity. But where are you going to find it? Well, I think we'd all agree wisdom comes with age. We learn by doing trial and error. Chances are high you will be wiser in 10 or 20 years than you are today. But that brings no comfort for today. You can't speed up life. You can't fast forward to obtain a future wisdom today. So does that mean we're destined to stumble and bumble through life from one bad decision to the next, hoping to one day climb out from under failure and mediocrity and finally arrive at the feet of wisdom? What if there's another source? James says there is. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God. So simple, so obvious, but so few of us actually do it. Think of the big things swirling around in your noggin right now, the things you're stewing about. I'm talking about everything from the business deal to the big date on Friday. How often do you talk to God about them? If you lack wisdom, James says, just ask him. 
I think too often we sequester God to matters of the spirit. We don't bother him with things like midterms and board meetings. But why not? Is it because we think we can handle it on our own? Is it because we think he doesn't care? In whatever arena of life you lack wisdom, just ask him. If it's a decision with your career path, just ask him. If it's a decision with your children, just ask him. In fact, James goes out of his way to make a case for asking God by describing the character of God. Now, remember, throughout the letter, the author argues why we should love God, and here's one reason. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives. What James actually says gets lost in translation because the wording of his sentence in Koine Greek would be a little awkward in contemporary English. Literally, James says, when we lack wisdom, we should ask the giving God. The giving God. James has learned something about the character of God that he wants his readers to grasp. You see, God, by nature, is open-handed. In case his point isn't clear, he emphasizes it with another word. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all. That word generous is the Greek word hoplos. Now, hoplos is a word rich in meaning, so much so a single English word doesn't quite capture it. On the one hand, it means generous. God gives more than you need. If I ask for 10, he gives 15. James paints a picture of a God who's thrilled to dole out large doses of wisdom. But scholars note there's an equally valid way to translate the word. Hoplos means wholehearted, unconditional. Hoplos means without hesitation or reservation. James says, God has no internal debate about giving wisdom. Should I, shouldn't I? God is committed to giving wisdom with an unwavering, single-minded generosity. Do you believe that about God? You may not agree with James. Maybe you think of God, if there is a God, as tight-fisted and stingy. He's a miserly, grudging God who only gives good gifts to the most perfect people or people who can twist his arm and you haven't figured out how. Maybe you got that message from religion. Maybe you deduced that message from suffering. And maybe you're right. But James doesn't think so. James is so convinced of this aspect of God's character that he makes a mammoth promise. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Friends, this is crucial. When God gives wisdom, he looks forwards, not backwards. When God gives wisdom, he doesn't hold grudges or rub our noses in the mistakes we've made. Even if the reason we need wisdom is because we royally screwed up. Maybe you need wisdom to fix your marriage because you broke your marriage. Maybe you need wisdom to regain the trust of your best friend because you violated that trust. Maybe you need wisdom to discipline your child's behavior that you allowed and you enabled. Well, James has good news for you. This God is shockingly forgiving. 
This God gives wisdom without finding fault, without pointing fingers, without saying, I told you so. He gives generously to all without finding fault. So don't let what you think about God or what you think about you prevent you from asking for it. He gives generously. But, did you hear a but coming? Because there's a big but coming. Verse 6. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. In order to receive the wisdom of verse 5, we have to embrace the wisdom of verses 6 through 8. In a phrase, here's what James is getting at. If you need God's wisdom in one area, make sure you aren't ignoring him in another. If you need God's wisdom in one area, make sure you aren't ignoring him in another. James says, verse 6, but when you ask for wisdom, you must believe and not doubt. What does James mean by doubt? First, I think we should identify two different kinds of doubt. The first kind is what we'll call intellectual doubt. Intellectual doubt is what you experience when you have enough faith to pray a prayer, but you toggle back and forth between faith and fear. Will God really come through? Will he really help me? Now, I think this kind of doubt is best seen in a story in the Gospel of Mark. In Mark 9, a father comes to Jesus because his child is being tormented by an evil spirit. Now, that father had heard the rumors of Jesus as he journeyed through Galilee healing the sick, the blind see, the lame walk. The father is desperate to find healing for his son, Well, the father first encounters the disciples of Jesus who fail to bring restoration to the boy. Then he sees Jesus, and he pleads to Jesus, Mark 9, verse 22, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Notice that really big, tiny word at the front of that sentence. If. He doesn't question the compassion of Jesus, but he does question his power. And do you blame him? After years of watching his son suffer, after years of consulting religious leaders and medical professionals, the father's doubts are not lost on Jesus. Verse 23, if you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Everything is possible for one who believes. How do you conjure up that kind of faith? The kind of faith Jesus is talking about. Where do you find it? When you feel beaten down, when you're shaken to your core? Is there a place you can go? Is there a prayer you can pray that will help you tap into that kind of faith? This father knows this may be his only chance. It's unlikely he'll get another audience with Jesus. And he doesn't want his boy to go even one more day with this affliction. So with only a glimmer of hope, He says, Mark 9, verse 24, immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. This is one of my favorite prayers in the Bible. I find myself praying it a lot. I believe, help my unbelief. And it's a prayer that God loves to answer, by the way. 
Maybe it's a prayer you need to start praying because of your intellectual doubt. I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Well, it's a beautiful passage. But the doubt or the unbelief to which this passage speaks is probably not the kind of doubt mentioned by James. You see, the father in Mark 9 seemed to wrestle with intellectual doubt. But James is writing about a different kind of doubt. He's writing about volitional doubt. It's not a doubt of the mind. It's a doubt of the will. He uses the word diacrino. A diacrino means to dispute with oneself. It's an intense form of doubting. It's not the momentary questions of uncertainty we ponder when we pray. James is talking about the waffling and wavering of one's commitment toward God. The Apostle Paul uses the same word in his letter to the church at Rome as he describes the faith of Abraham. In Romans 4, verse 20, Paul writes, He, meaning Abraham, did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God. Now, Paul, an expert in the Hebrew Scriptures, knows full well that Abraham did wobble in his belief. In Genesis 17, Abraham heard God's promise and thought it so absurd he fell to the floor with laughter. Yeah, Abraham doubted God. But with a different kind of doubt than the doubt to which Paul and James refer. They're talking about one's attitude toward God and commitment to God. It's volitional doubt, not intellectual doubt. Volitional doubt is the kind of doubt that prompted Augustine to pray, Lord, make me chaste, but not yet. <laughs> it's not a doubt of the mind, it's a doubt of the will. It's the attitude of the individual who wants to hear from God when they don't know what to do, but doesn't want to hear from God when they do know what to do, but they don't want to do it. James says, that bloke, verse 6, is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. James warns you as you approach God for wisdom you desperately need. If you need God's wisdom in one area, make sure you aren't ignoring him in another. Here's what he's saying. Don't expect God to speak to you about your marriage when you won't listen to what he has to say about your temper. Don't expect God to speak to you about your work life when you won't listen to what he has to say about your sexual life. If you need God's wisdom in one area, make sure you aren't ignoring him in another. James says of that guy or gal who acts like that, verse 7, that person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Now, is this God being mean? Well, it may feel mean, just as it feels mean to the child when the parent says no. But God isn't being mean. He's being a good father, teaching his kids character. I'd hate to be the neighbor of the disobedient child that gets everything she wants. I'd hate to be the teacher of the disobedient child that gets everything she wants. God bless our teachers. No, I'm not saying that it's quid pro quo as if your obedience obligates God like a genie in the bottle to offer wisdom. It doesn't. And neither am I saying that God will never respond 
to a request for wisdom from a disobedient disciple. God regularly surprises me with his grace. I'm actually saying no more than James. James is saying that person shouldn't expect anything from the Lord. That person shouldn't be surprised if wisdom seems just out of reach. That person shouldn't throw a hissy fit when their prayer's not answered the way they want it answered. Look, we need to be very careful when we approach the subject of unanswered prayer. We'll return to it from another angle in a few weeks. But for now, ask yourself an honest question. Does this verse explain some of your frustration? If you need God's wisdom in one area, make sure you aren't ignoring him in another. James further describes the individual with volitional doubt, saying, verse 8, such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Double-minded translates the word dipsukos. Now, dipsukos uh, is a word uh, that really doesn't show up in Greek literature before this moment. In fact, James probably made the word up. Dipsukos means double-souled. It describes the condition of the individual whose soul is split in two. Someone who does what is right, sometimes. You see, doubt in James 1 has less to do with intellectual certainty and more to do with duplicity. James says such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. You find yourself constantly saying, I'm coming apart, I'm going to pieces, I can't seem to get my junk together. Now, of course, you may be the innocent victim of suffering like we discussed last week. But is it possible the reason you're coming apart at the seams is because you're ignoring God's wisdom in some part of your life? To be clear, the kind of doubt we're talking about here doesn't happen by accident. Are you willfully willfully ignoring God's wisdom in some part of your life. My friend, is it possible that God could be withholding his wisdom from you for your own good? If you need God's wisdom in one area, make sure you aren't ignoring him in another. Let's pray. Lord, I first stop to pray for my friends who are desperately seeking wisdom. They need to know the right way forward. They have more questions than answers and they just want to get it right. Lord, I pray Every one of my friends in that situation would find the faith to seek you for that wisdom. May they recognize the character of the God to whom they pray is a character of generosity and open-handedness. May the mistakes of their past not prevent, not prevent them from praying. May they find the faith to take you at your word that you are a God who gives generously to all without finding fault. And may they ask, 
even if the problem they're facing is one of their own making. But perhaps more importantly, I pray that you'd use this message in James to sober us to the reality of our situation. How desperately we want your wisdom in one or two or three areas, but we are blatantly disregarding your wisdom in others. May our eyes be open to see the duplicity, the soul-splitting effect of that kind of thinking and that kind of acting. Give us a faith that will trust your wisdom in every area of life. The way we manage our money. The way we relate to friends and family. The way we do romance. The way we raise kids. The way we act and interact at work. May we have the faith to trust your wisdom in all areas. And finally, I pray for my friends who are new to this journey with you or perhaps aren't even sure what they think about you quite yet. I pray this message and the subsequent messages in James's epistle will open their eyes to see the reality of who they, who you are and who you've called them to be. And may they find the faith to trust you. Though it may start with one area or two areas, I pray that through our journey through James, they'd find the faith to entrust their entire lives to you. Make this a safe place in which they can journey. We pray this in the name of the King. Amen. Okay, we got to talk about homework. And I tell you from time to time when I assign homework, homework's always optional at Capital, right? You can pick your assignment. Whatever works for you. you, you'll know with God's help what assignments will work best in your world and what we're trying to do. Remember what our end game here. Our end game is to become disciples of Jesus, learning to love God and love each other more. Now, that being the case, I remind you that it's optional because I got a lot of assignments for you today. Okay? Here's your first one. Carve out a little time and identify two or three areas in which you lack wisdom and ask God for that wisdom every day this week. Hey, let's get practical. What's on your mind? What's the next big decision you got to make? Maybe you're applying for grad school. Maybe you're being recruited for a new job. Maybe you're in a relationship and you've got to decide if that guy or gal should become a more permanent fixture in your future. Maybe you're just hoping to raise your kids without killing them. <laughs> Identify a couple areas in which you lack wisdom and ask God for that wisdom every day this week.
throughout this message, I alluded to the idea of hearing from God. That, that is a new concept to a lot of us. It's, it's ethereal. It's just out of reach. What does that mean? What does that look like? Time didn't allow us to, to cover that topic today. But I want to point you back to a message uh, called Right Paths. Back in the fall of 2015, we worked through uh, Psalm 23, and we just took that psalm line by line, verse by verse, over a number of weeks. This is a passage from Psalm 23 and verse 3. You guide me along right paths for your namesake. Uh, In this passage, we talked about hearing God's voice, what that looks like what that could look like in your life. If you're looking for a way to connect uh, to God like that and, and, and really figure out what does that mean? What might that be for me? I'll give you my tips in that message. Uh, you can download that message, by the way, from our website. We'll put a link to it in the homework for this message. If That'll come up right at the top this afternoon. Uh, in that sermon, I recommended a couple books. I'll do so again. There's a book called The Power of a Whisper by Bill Hybels. Hybels is the pastor of a great church located outside of Chicago. And in this book, Hybels weaves personal stories with biblical principles together to teach us how to listen to God's voice. Now, I love this book because I, I love Bill to begin with, but I love that it's written by a guy like Bill. Now, there are, are some of us as disciples of Jesus who are a bit more contemplative in nature, and I love reading those books too. Hybels is not that guy. Hybels is an amped up type A leader who's always blowing and going and he never rests. But even that guy will tell you how essential it is to live a kind of life constantly aware of the whispers of God's voice in our life. Check out that book. We got some copies at the back in the bookstore. Also, here's one more, Hearing God from Dallas Willard. This is uh, an important book that offers a sturdy theology on this subject. You'll gain rich spiritual insight into how you can hear God's voice clearly as you develop an intimate relationship with them. Uh, Willard talks about the difference between hearing your voice in your head and hearing God's voice. He says in time you'll be able to learn the difference in the spirit, the tone, and the content of your thoughts versus God's thoughts. For instance, God doesn't nag. Hmm? You'll learn over time, God doesn't nag. I find my thoughts in contrast are often nervous or stressed or self-centered. When, when God's speaking, two words best describe the feeling, calm confidence. As you wrestle with this idea and you wonder, is this, is this something that's worth looking into? Well, reason this out. Use your brain. If it is hypothetically possible that the infinite God of the universe desires a personal relationship with individuals, And that's possible that you might be able to learn to listen to his voice. That sounds like something we should make a priority this year. What do you think? So go to school on it. See how others do it. It won't be spooky. If it's spooky, it's probably not God. Okay? No, 
it'll be well-reasoned and, and thoughtful. He gave you a brain for a reason. But what if you could live in step with him and listen to his voice every day of your life, offering you wisdom in real time? That sounds interesting to me. Here's a, here's a way to engage the scriptures. Take up the Proverbs challenge, as I call it. Now, if you're already engaging the scriptures in some way on a regular basis, this may not be for you. But if you're looking for a way to, to engage God through the scriptures, what you do is you read a chapter of the Proverbs that corresponds with the day of the week. So, for instance, today is January 22nd. You would read Proverbs 22. Tomorrow's January 23rd. You would read Proverbs 23. There are 31 Proverbs in the Old Testament. Now, when you do so, I recommend you do so with Jesus. Before you read, ask him to speak to you. And then just begin to read. Maybe you want to pause. Maybe you want to ponder one of the Proverbs that you read. My hunch is, maybe not every day, but a lot of days, one will leap off the page and you'll realize, I needed that today. I needed that for that meeting or that conversation. I needed that today. It might challenge you. It might encourage you. Who knows what you need? Depends on the day. But, but there's another benefit to this. What it does is as you familiarize yourself with the scriptures, you begin to hear the tone and the spirit of God's wisdom so you'll be able to recognize it when you hear it again. Here's your last assignment. This is a big one. Identify an area in which you're ignoring God and stop it. <laughs> Just stop it. I know that's a little blunt, but James is a little blunt. Knock it off. Please stand with me. If you'd like to reflect on this a little more, here's a verse for the week. It's actually our text from James. James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. Often I'll shrink it down and just choose one of the verses. I just couldn't this week. I felt like we needed the entire passage. I know some of you uh, will, will take this verse and this image and commit it to memory. I know uh, that's a practice that several of you are doing to make this easier. We're going to make this graphic available. This afternoon, it will be posted to our website, capitalchurch.com. It'll also be uploaded to our social media accounts later this week. We also want to give you this graphic. If you need God's wisdom in one area, make sure you aren't ignoring him in another. If you'd like to receive prayer, we'll have some people waiting here at the front ready to pray for you. Make your way up and invite them to do so. I want to leave you with this prayer. As King Solomon once prayed, I pray also for you. May God give you a discerning heart, a heart of wisdom that helps you identify the difference between right and wrong, good and bad, better and best. And may you embrace God's wisdom in every area of life, including that area you've been ignoring. Thanks for being here. Grace and peace.